Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everybody. It's Jason here. This week's podcast is a little bit different to our usual podcast. You'll hear that we're out and about, and as such, the sound is a little bit rough and ready. Um, but we still think it's interesting, and we hope you enjoy the show, and normal service will resume on our next episode. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live uh, on a train from London. And that's a little bit different to our usual MO. Um, but we are on the Heathrow Express from Heathrow to Paddington Station. And what's the reason for that? Uh, we're heading to Abbey Road. The actual Abbey Road. The actual Abbey Road. And uh, um, we're not just crossing the Zebra Crossing, Stephen. No, there were too many people there this week to do that. So we're actually going to visit Studio 2. Yeah, so Studio 2, which is the main um, uh, focus of operations for the Beatles and many other bands over the years, Pink Floyd and Radiohead and all the rest, um, are having a 10-day session where they're going to open their doors and they're running lectures twice a day uh, by Brian Q and uh, Kevin Ryan, who are music producers and have also written a book uh, called Recording the Beatles. And uh, they're giving a series of 90-minute lectures about... Abbey Road, the studio, and obviously there'll be Beatle content, but also general content about the studio itself. And uh, we're also going to get a chance to look around a bit. Yes, um, very excited by that. Uh, visit to the studio, visit to the control room, and uh, get to look at some of the instruments and the equipment uh, used by the Beatles and those other bands that we're not really that interested in. Yes, apparently there, there have been other bands apart from the Beatles. So, um, so yeah, so this is going to be kind of a, a slightly different podcast to the normal podcast. It's going to be part travelogue. We'll see if there's anyone interesting we, we meet along the way. Um, as we talk to you now, it's uh, Sunday the 11th of August and obviously uh, there's an awful lot of 50th anniversaries going on this week. So uh, Thursday the 8th of August uh, was the 50th anniversary of the Abbey Road cover photograph and it was also the announcement of the new 2019 Abbey Road box set. And if we have some time later on, on. We're going to talk about that and just do a little preview of what that's going to give us. There's another 50th anniversary today. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary of John Lennon's last contribution to a Beatles record in Studio 2. And what did he do? Uh, they were adding backing vocals to Oh Darling. Gosh, and then he uh, he um, he's still around for some of the mixing and sequencing. Famously, August the 20th, 69 was the last day that all four of them were in the studio together. Um, putting the finishing touches on Abbey Road and deciding when uh, I Want You, She's So Heavy should end, just yeah. cutting, slicing the tape. So, um, so yeah, so this is going to be a, 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 an episode about Abbey Road, uh, the studio, and a bit about Abbey Road, the album, and uh, some other bits and pieces uh, in between. And um, so, you know, uh, hopefully you'll stick with us and we'll see 
what it is that we uh, gain today. And we've been practicing our E chord in order to play it on the piano. E minor? E- it's an E major chord. The final chord on A Day in the Life is a, is a solid um, E major chord. So apparently we're going to get a chance to play that piano later on. Let's just see how that, uh, how that works out. So we're now in the taxi in uh, Maida Vale, um, heading towards St. John's Wood. Um, yeah, <laughs> I still expect to see... No, it still hasn't quite uh, assumed the air of reality for me, I think. I mean, I, I lived in London for seven years, and so, you know, the novelty of spinning past the Abbey Road Zebra Crossing and just craning my neck and seeing who was taking their photo was always... Uh, Entertaining, and it was never empty. Even at night, there's usually one sole person crossing the road. Did you have you done the crossing? Have you I, I have done the crossing. I, I, I first went to Abbey Road when I was about 16. I was over in London with my parents, and I had a very understanding dad who said, Yep, okay, off we go. And I did the zebra crossing, and a, and a security man just let me up to the steps in Abbey Road, which is not normal. Um, and then, as I said, when I lived in London, it's just one of those novelties of living in London. Uh, yeah, I think I was probably about 18 or 19, came across for a gig. I c- couldn't tell you what gig, but just made a point of going and looking and walking across and walking back across, and that was it. I didn't attempt to. But I was here in January uh, for the 50th anniversary of the Rooftop oh, yeah. concert. So then we went out and I did the, uh, the walk across. I, uh, sort of, there were 20 or 30 people all just walking back and forward to the annoyance of every driver in St. John's Wood. Well, there was some, like, as I said, we're, we're three days on from the 50th anniversary of the picture, and I don't know, you probably saw the I pictures saw of that, the day yeah. where the, the police were called to the scene to try and stop people from, uh, well, you know, would you please move on? And eventually a police fan, I, I don't think it was planned by anybody in the Apple organisation that four Beatle lookalikes rocked up in a Rolls Royce and... Yeah, yeah. They were quite poor. No water cannon were <laughs> no. It was pretty bad. I mean, it was, it was chaos. Yeah, it was, it was pretty chaotic. And I think it's true to say that nobody, no tourist who has ever taken their photo on the Abbey Road zebra crossing has ever managed to get a picture that looks as good as the cover of Abbey Road. They're always too far away or they're at the wrong angle and it's always uh, a huge disappointment. Yeah, I think uh, I had someone take a photograph. They were standing on a little traffic island, but it could be a zebra crossing anywhere. I could have done it at a zebra crossing in Belfast and passed it off as Abbey Road. It would have been just as good. Um, so, yeah, so we're just, uh, as I said, we're kind of coming out now. We've, we're passing, uh, we've gone past uh, Maida Vale, so we seem to be coming into St. John's Wood now-ish. Um, we're not a million miles away. No sign of of Paul McCartney yet. No, so Paul McCartney famously lives around the corner. Um, It's not, uh, it's it's an open secret that he he lives around the corner in Cavendish Avenue because he, as was his want, he would uh, saunter into Abbey Road ahead of any of the other Beatles and uh, uh, lay down whatever he needed to lay down. So for Abbey Road, for instance, he went in every morning and he put down a different vocal of Oh Darling. Yeah, Yeah, just to get his voice into that... uh as if he'd been singing it every uh, live uh, to get that rough quality. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
Um, and also the other kind of famous story from the time is uh, when he went in and in about 40 minutes did uh, come and get it as a, as a demo. But John was in the control booth. Yeah, from start to finish, played everything himself. Obviously, we let people know if we see Paul McCartney. Yes, if, if we can get Paul to say a few words, um, that'd be... That'd be uh, Words. We obviously don't want him taking up the whole episode. We, no, we don't want, and we don't want him like, if he if he offers to take out his guitar, I'd be like, no, 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 put that away, put that away. And if he's pointing towards a nearby piano, yeah, yeah, no no no, 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 it's been done. And there's Abbey Road, right in front of us. Fantastic, and yes, there is hundreds of people milling around and a big queue outside the studio itself. So we're going to join that queue and see what's going on. So we're in Studio 2 at the minute, Stephen. It's odd how familiar it seems. It's incredibly familiar. I mean, we've seen so many photographs over the years. And, but the thing that strikes me is it's quite small. Mm. I mean, it's a cavernous space in one sense, but in another, it's really quite small. Yeah, it's like the size of your average PE hall in a 1960s school, I think. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's uh, got the familiar layout that you've seen in many Beatle books and Beatle biopics. And we're just about to head up the steps into the control room. Um, but yes, it's very strange. Very strange, but it's just, it is incredibly familiar. It's a room that I think everyone who has ever read a book or seen photographs of the Beatles will be familiar with, the layout. Uh, so that's, it's very disorienting. Well, even, you know, anyone who knows the Rockestra documentary from 1979 actually has a walk around Abbey Road, so it's very familiar with the stairs. Into everyone will know that. Everyone. That's, that's what people remember this place for. Rockestra is what Abbey Road is remembered for most, obviously. Rockestra. <laughs> Rockestra. Rockeria. <laughs> inside the Studio 2 echo chamber where it, we're literally recording with the echo of Abbey Road. Uh, where John Lennon, uh, his voice was piped through for a day in the life. It's a very odd feeling to be here. So an echo chamber is like a tiled room and it has these concrete plinths in it because nowadays we can press a button and make a, a digital echo on a record. But back then they would feed the recording into a room, record the echo and then add the echo to the recording and we're standing in the room where the recordings would go. So if you can hear any echo from us, it's, um, it's the same echo that's on all the Beatles records is now on uh, the podcast. This is very strange. <laughs> We're now up in the Studio 2 control room, which is another unerringly familiar place. So you, you approach it up a flight of stairs. It, it hovers above studio to itself and it's again it's uncanny how familiar it is and it, there's, there's really something quite uh, spine tingling about the view from the window yeah the view from the window is really specific you know kind of hangs heavy in beetle lore it's the the, the the recording of please please me they finish the day on twist and shout you know they're looking down and they all traipse back up into this very room to listen to the album and the session was supposed to be over at 10 o'clock but they hang around to listen to the 10 tracks they recorded that day in this room with huge enthusiasm, which uh, is something that George Martin talked about in retrospect. Yeah, it's that uh, where he uh, pushed the button and said, gentlemen, I think you've recorded your first number one. It, it all happened in here, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's now a very modern state-of-the-art room. And I think that's the nice thing about Abbey Road is that a lot of these famous studios like Trident and all the rest, they've, they've kind of become... Uh, you know, Electric Ladyland Studios, 
they're all historical. You can't really visit them. And this place hasn't become a museum. It's a working studio. It's a working studio. Um, yeah, it's interesting that the, uh, the, 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 the control room is so high-tech, but yet studio to itself. The layout, the format, the, the floor, the, the walls doesn't seem to have changed. And that's obviously for sound and vibes and, you know, they don't uh, remove the spirit of the place. It's in the brickwork. Yeah, now speaking of brickwork, Stephen, um, uh, there's no really play way to put this. You're, you're buying an Abbey Road brick. I'm buying and I have bought an Abbey Road brick. So they, they remodeled part of the studio, uh, brought in, took down an internal wall and... Uh, salvage some of the bricks and uh, put them up for sale. And uh, I am their target. Mark. So you have to collect your bricks in person. So once we get to the end of our tour today, we're going next door to the Abbey Road shop to pick up our Abbey Road brick. And bit by bit, if you get a brick a year, you can build your own Abbey Road. It's like one of those magazines that you, that you buy. But yeah, this control room is just absolutely wild and the window is absolutely wild down to the studio itself. All right, so it is now after the lectures. We've just had a 90-minute lecture covering 90 years of Abbey Road, um, following about three hours of sitting in Studio 2. And uh, we're just standing outside Abbey Road now, so you hear some passing buses and some honking cars as people try and cross the, the zebra crossing. But what did you make of all that, Stephen? Uh, it's a lot to process. Uh, it was really quite something to be inside Studio 2. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not really quite sure what, what to say or uh, how to explain what it feels like. Um, I mean, I think the thing is, in the middle of the lecture, they were describing where the Beatles were sitting in the room while they were recording Twist and Shout, and they played a little snippet of that. And I mean, I, I find myself just staring into the corner of the room, uh, imagining that that's, that's exactly where the drum kit was set up. Wind. There's wind coming in through there. Sorry for the wind noise there, folks. Uh, sorry, drum kit. That's Yoko. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, during the middle of the lecture, just looking into the corner of the room where they were set up. So they, they, they seemed to set up initially for those early sessions in the furthest corner away from the control room that they could actually get. Uh, but of course, the highlight was the piano. Tell, well, us, yes. about, tell us about the piano, Jason. <laughs> well, there's a, there's, a, there's a moment in the show where they've, 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 they, you know, you're sitting in Studio 2 and they've arranged a bunch of equipment and instruments that have been used historically and that are still actively in use in Abbey Road. And so there's a row of pianos, including a uh, Steinway known as the Mrs. Mills piano, which is played on Lady Madonna and uh, uh, a second on Penny Lane, and then a second piano whose name just escapes me at the minute, which... The Chaltron piano, I'll have to check that, which is the piano used in um, A Fool on, the Fool on the Hill. But they pulled four shy people out of the audience, from which I was one of them, and we were all teed up on this bank of three pianos with our fingers poised over an E chord, and then on their count, the three pianos played the chord from A Day in the Life. And I have to say, sitting, I was in the middle piano, and to actually suddenly hear those three pianos make that noise was very strange it is it is it was the noise and i've played an e chord on a piano and on my piano at home it doesn't sound the same but you're playing those three pianos in that room in that spot how, how did it sound from the audience uh well we were there obviously there were all the children that you trampled to get <laughs> to the piano were, were, were in the way but it it was really quite uh it was surreal it was completely surreal and as you say it it, it doesn't sound the same it's, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound the same on another piano. It's, uh, it was exactly what you hear on the record. So a lot of studios talk about, you know, the sound of the room. And certainly in that moment, I was like, OK, I get it. The sound of the room. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's really just fantastic, and it's 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 a it, a lot of the sto- talk today was about the studio itself mm. and the future of the studio, and they're certainly setting themselves up for the future with movie soundtracks and smaller studios working in the digital realm and you know, turning their work into software. So that's all very, very interesting. Um, but I think the in- most interesting thing was this demixing technology. Now, I've heard about this before. Um, but, well, John explained the demixing. It kind of explains itself. Yeah, so they, they were saying there was a, an engineer from New Zealand had come up with this uh, technique, this demixing technique, uh, which can isolate individual uh, instruments from essentially what is a, a, an already mixed mono recording. And the example that they demonstrated this on was uh, She Loves You, which only exists in its mono form. And uh, they then played a version of it in which the guitar had essentially been extracted. You could hear the other instruments faintly in the background. And honestly, it's a guitar work that you cannot hear on the record itself, um, so, which was really quite staggering to hear. Yeah, they, they pull a George Harrison guitar line in isolation from this, Stephen says, mono recording of She Loves You. And you're like, well, that's interesting. And it, it points towards, you know, we've, we've, we've had the Pepper and the White Album and now the Abbey Road re-release. And if you're wondering, well, you know, they're not able to do anything technically with the older albums or the first two or three albums. Well, this tells us that 100% they are definitely going to be going in that direction and remixing these albums, demixing them and then remixing them and then we'll be buying them. Buying them all again. I mean, that, that was the first thing that I thought, you know, people have said, why did they start with Pepper for the box set treatment? Clearly, this technology is developing. They use it on the Hollywood Bowl, uh, eight days a week uh, soundtrack. But yes, you can see they are going to do this with the mono albums. And for me, possibly the most exciting aspect of that is what they might be able to do with the Star Club tapes. Um, You you know, all of the Beatles, Lennon in particular, always said that's where the Beatles sounded the best. I've heard, I mean, I remember buying the original Star Club album when it came out in the late 70s. It was very disappointing. It's a very muffled sound. There are better versions of it. Uh, now that have been remastered, bootleg versions, but the thought that they might actually be able mm. to, to pull out those individual instruments and, and recreate. Um, you know, and the technology is only going to improve. Yeah, they sort of hinted that there's kind of an AI side to the technology. So if this is some kind of technology that's going to have a component of self-learning and just improving, improving, why the possibilities and the expense to us, the consumer, is endless. Yes, uh, I, I think it's marvellous. I'm thinking already I'm going to have to sell my house or remortgage. Or uh, You can see this just stretching inevitably yes. into uh, the future. And, and if you haven't been to Abbey Road before, they've in recent years opened a, uh, a little shop next door, so you really do need to bring your, uh, your, your, your pounds and pennies. Um, we are uh, going to move around a little bit now. We're kind of looking at the massive throngs that are trying to cross the zebra crossing. It's going to be impossible to get a, uh, a, I think a picture on the zebra crossing today. I think we need to sit on the wall, Stephen, across the road and uh, recreate the, the pictures surrounding Abbey Road instead. Well, as you can probably hear from maybe the sounds behind us, is we're now back on the Heathrow Express train heading back to Heathrow Airport. So this has really been a, a very quick visit to London. So- 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So, uh, like, you know, it's, uh, literally we've been here for about seven hours. It's, uh, we, we, post Abbey Road, we did walk over the zebra crossing because that's just what you have to do. We walked by somebody's house in Cavendish Avenue. I don't think they were there. Were they there? No, uh, presumably this is the day they'll be in Soho Square, which is, I always check out Soho Square to see if Paul is there. If ever, if ever you are in London, you know, Paul's address is Cavendish Avenue and uh, it's pretty well publicised. He's put, got a picture of the house in the recent Red Rose Speedway box set. Um, but he has an office in one Soho Square, which has a big MPL sign outside, and you can see all the Beatles stuff. And I used to work around the corner and would regularly walk past on the off chance that I might bump into Paul. Never happened, oddly enough. No, never happened. Uh, I always think, you know, one day he'd be nipping out for a vegetarian sandwich, and uh, but never seems to happen. I, I did once uh, walk past uh, George Martin, okay. but I was so awestruck, uh, I was incapable of speech, so he kind of nodded and I nodded and we went on our way but I, I like to feel we it was the basis of a there, there was a moment there, there, was a moment. there uh, was a moment. super famous people are kind of used to people going slightly crazy in, yeah. in the presence of super famous people so yeah I'm, I lived in London when uh, Memory Almost Full came out and when Paul used to tell that story of I nipped out of the office and went down to Charing Cross to buy uh, you know a, a ukulele to write Dance Tonight on I thought oh I could have could have been bumping into him, but that never happened. Um, so yeah, so as I said, this is a real hit and run visit to London. It's still hard to kind of uh, process the whole Abbey Road thing. It's 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 quite a it's quite a spectacular room to be in, and uh, it is to their credit that Abbey Road is still such a fantastic place to visit and to work in. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing for me is that the the, the studio was pretty much as it was. Uh, you know, the original sort of baffling that there, the, the sort of sound dampers are still hanging from the roof. Uh, it, it looks exactly like every photograph you've ever seen of the Beatles uh, uh, recording. And so many of those studios and those places in the, in the late 70s, early 80s were just torn down or completely reconfigured. But they obviously... Uh, realised the value of the room, realised the value of the of the, the heritage that's there, um, and uh, they preserved it. And all of those instruments still available to people recording today. Yeah, the, that was one interesting thing they put up. The, you know, the, the talk is a 90-minute lecture with slides, and uh, they put up a, a design from 1979 of how they were going to renovate Abbey Road, which involved... Uh, studio 2 being split into an upstairs and a downstairs and the downstairs being for parking and Studio 1 being split into three different studios and all sorts of 
late 70s architectural horror could have befallen Abbey Road, except uh, Kent End, the, the general manager who'd been worked his way up from the very bottom, kind of diversified into film soundtracks. And that's really what's paying Abbey Road's bills these days. Yeah, I think that's uh, very all credit to Ken Townsend, who was there right at the beginning of the Beatles' uh, recording career. And I dare say if it had been anyone else or anyone that didn't have that personal hands-on history, the studio would have been completely reconfigured. Um, Very impressive roster of uh, film scores recorded there, most recently Bohemian Rhapsody and and Rocket Man. Mm for example, which I think Giles Martin worked on. Giles Martin worked on that. There's a tiny Giles Martin cameo in Rocketman uh, when, when Elton's recording your songs. You can look out for that. I, I certainly know that before I came here, my kids were a bit more interested that it's the place where they recorded the Harry Potter and the Marvel soundtracks rather than um, most of the, the Beatles information. So that's, that's interesting. But there is one other piece of Abbey Road news that we should probably take two or three minutes to talk about. This is a, a bit of a, a you know, a, 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 an off-road uh, podcast, but uh, last uh, week, as we were recording this, on the 8th of um, August, on the 50th anniversary of the picture of Abbey Road, uh, the Beatles announced that they are going to put out a an anniversary box set. They don't mention the year, they just say it's an anniversary box set, but it's a 50th anniversary box set of Abbey Road. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. I, I think it's kind of funny how Beatle fans have come to take these sets for granted, because one of the places where I waste time is the Steve Hoffman Forum. And I remember when we were approaching the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper, people were saying, nothing's going to happen. The Beatles don't do box sets. And then all of a sudden we have these box sets. And I think they're successful. Yes, I think so. I think that, I think Pepper uh, was very successful. It sort of set the template. Um, the, the mixing, I suppose, the, the, the remixing by Giles Martin was slightly controversial at the time. But I, I, I think there doesn't seem to be any controversy around the White Album, less so about Abbey Road. Uh, you know, you get used to it. Um, and the Pepper remix was so impressive that uh, I, I think it, it overcame people's uh, sort of difficulties with tinkering with the sacred texts. The 50th anniversary Pepper box, you can argue that they had something to prove because people had generally developed this belief that mono Pepper was better than stereo Pepper and stereo Pepper needed a bit of a, a spit and polish. And then the White Album box said we had the Escher demos that people have waited for years to get. I think that was the thing that was very special and unique to that. And we're just going to clear the doors. Um, Abbey Road, does it need an overhaul? It's difficult to say because it it, it is undoubtedly the most modern sounding uh, of all of their albums. It was given a a remaster in 2009. Um, It's difficult to, to sort of really think they're going to be able to improve on that. Uh, there's a 5.1 mix, is that right? That's right. Um, that's going to be interesting. I was completely blown away by the 5.1 mix of the White Album. I'm not generally a huge fan of 5.1, uh, but I thought they did a great job there. Uh, it's the re- uh, rehearsals and the outtakes, I think, are going to be of most interest yeah. to me. I think it's going to be a bit of a polish up, but I'm not expecting huge advance on, on where we are. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you're right in saying that it sounds modern. It's you know the the phrase that it's probably going to be used is it's recorded in solid state uh, electronic technology, not valve technology. So something like Abbey Road sounds closer to Fleetwood Mac's Rumours than it does to Sgt Pepper, even though they're separated by many years, purely because of the the technology that's that's driving it uh, underneath. But yeah, since the, since the Pepper Box came out in 2017, uh, generally the 
hardcore fans have kind of shifted from saying this will never happen to now expecting it to happen. So it seemed to be not necessarily a worst kept secret, but maybe a well-guessed secret that we were going to get an Abbey Road box set in 2019. So just as a quick um, overview, if, if anybody hasn't seen any information yet, there will be a numerous different versions, but the main one is a, a three CD, one Blu-ray version with a 100-page book with the chapters written by Kevin Howlett, who's written in the previous books. And I think they're, uh, those books have been fantastic to read, actually, and a kind of a nice way of recontextualizing the stuff that maybe we read 30 years ago through Mark Lewis and how to look at studio sessions instead of day by day, look at song by song. Yeah, I think uh, that was one of the most impressive things, I think, about the White Album. Uh, These are books that I think almost are deserving of a standalone release at some point. Um, You know, people that don't want or can't afford the box set, uh, those books are well worth uh, having. And I think it would be disappointing or be a shame if, if, if they aren't available at some point. And CD1 is the 2019 mix of the White Album, and uh, they've already put out a a little EP of something. Have you listened to that yet? Uh, Yes, just on Spotify. I've heard it on Spotify, yeah. Yeah. It's it's good? Yes, uh, I thought it was very good. Um, George Song, obviously very good. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, I think it was a really nice taster of what's to come, and that's, that's really made me want to hear... Those, those extra tracks that's, yeah. that's what I'm interested in So aside from the 17 Abbey Road tracks there's then two further CDs which are sessions which are a mixture of studio sessions home demos studio demos and out of those 23 songs only two of those songs come from uh, Anthology 3 so Anthology 3 was the one that covered 68, 69 and into 70 and the, the two songs um, that are repeated are the Something demo which is already been released on Spotify as a taster and it's a totally different mix. It's got a piano, the vocals are totally different, so it's the same recording, but for for me, it fooled me to think initially it was perhaps another take that we hadn't heard of. Yeah, it sounds sounds like a different take entirely. Um, So I don't know whether, did they they mix the piano out for Anthology 3? So so it was there originally in the demo, they just... Yeah, I think they just made a decision to take the piano out. And then the other track that's coming over from Anthology 3 is the studio demo of... um, Come and Get It, which Paul gave to Badfinger and which became a number one. And if that's going to be remixed, then it should sound pretty notably different from the uh, 1996 Anthology 3 version. Um, And then there's a further 21 tracks that are new to official release. Uh, Maybe if you're uh, uh, elbow deep in the bootlegs, you might know them. Um, But uh, for the multi-disc box, they're arranged in chronological order. So it starts in February 69 with I Want You, She's So Heavy. And controversially, this is a a Frankenstein edit. I think it's the only one on the album where they've edited together two separate takes uh, to try and give an idea of what's happened. Because they did that a lot in Anthology. They edited stuff together, didn't they? Yeah, I'm not a great fan of that, I have to say. Uh, That was one of the big criticisms, particularly Anthology 2 and Anthology 3, where they were almost giving you uh, sort of different takes spliced together or they were fading instruments in and out um, to create completely new versions. And, uh, you know, I think I would prefer just to hear, as it went down in Studio 2, just let's hear, you know, if if, if there are two different versions which are worthy of consideration, well, then double up, put, put the two versions out there. Yeah, so that, but that seems to be the only edit on the, on the box that we know of. And then, without going through everything, they've got the Paul's demo of the Mary Hopkins song Goodbye, which is very familiar as a bootleg, and it's, I'm glad that that's now kind of a Beatles song. It's going into the Beatles canon, and we can put it on our Beatles mixtapes. Because, you know, Paul doing his thing, everyone loves that. Well, I don't know, was it? But I think the song was written specifically for Mary Hopkins. Yeah, but so was Come and Get It. I mean, they're not... 
they were never, as I understand, either of those in the running for being Beatle tracks. No, so uh, as you say, then you, you agree with me that Come and Get It shouldn't be on Anthology 3. I, I, I think, you know, this is, this is the point where um, things were being specifically written for other people. They weren't Beatles songs, they weren't in contention. You know, they, they were never going to be in contention for Abbey Road. Uh, Goodbye, I think, is probably a little bit of a throwback to the White Album. Um, I had always in my mind dated from 68 rather than 69. It it has more of that feel about it. Um, You know, uh, uh, it's a very good recording. It's a very good song. It'll be nice to hear it cleaned up, but I'm not convinced it's a Beatles song. Well... I know, but when you're trying to fill out two CDs, it suddenly becomes a Beatles song. And then, I don't want to go through everything, but we do have um, an alternate take of the ballad of John and Yoko, and that's a session that I don't think has been bootlegged. And I wonder, will we get the take four studio chatter of Go Faster, Ringo, OK, George? We, we don't know. Um, there's a different take of Old Brown Shoe. We had a demo of that in Anthology 3. There's a brand new take of Oh Darling, which is different to the one on Anthology 3. I listened to that Anthology 3, Oh Darling, recently, it's quite ragged, but it's interesting yeah. to hear John kind of feel the harmonies out on it. It is. That's the one that sort of uh, the, the, they don't have the first few seconds yeah, of fades that in. fades in. Um, yeah, I, I like it. The, the 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 thing that will be interesting to me is uh, uh, with these takes being polished up. Yeah. Is Anthology Three even listenable anymore? Okay. Um, I certainly thought that from the pot, the Pepper box and the White Album box. If you go back and listen to Anthology Two and Anthology Three. The sound is not great. It was great at the time, but... They, maybe should, they should reissue it and remix it. That's uh, an idea. The thing I like about Oh Darling is it always seems to be the bridge song between the Let It Be sessions and Abbey Road. You can imagine it being sung on the roof uh, of yeah. Savile Road, um, but yet there it is on, 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 on uh, Abbey, uh, Savile Row even, and there it is on, on Abbey Road. I always feel it, it, it matches that old rock and roll vibe of Let It Be, Get Back. Yeah, it's this, but it is this notion that let it be, the Let It Be sessions really just rolled into the Abbey Road sessions. So you have Billy Preston on some of these earlier songs uh, straight off the back of Let It Be. So, they, I mean, they didn't really take a break. You know, so this idea that Let It Be was such a disaster, such a terrible uh, atmosphere that they then took a break, then made a conscious decision, let's get back together and do one new album or one, one final album. Um, these sessions are just a continuation. So, yeah, I think, I think Oh Darling, uh, I Want You, these are songs that very much have a let it be feel. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got takes of Octopus's Garden, You Never Give Me Your Money, Her Majesty, Golden Slumbers, Here Comes the Sun, Maxwell Silverhammer, all alternate takes on CD2 that um, are not in any way related to any version that might have appeared in Anthology 3. And then the third CD opens with a, a take five of Come Together. We had take one, on Anthology 3, Come and Get It is on that second disc, and then alternate versions of all the rest of the tracks. And then interestingly, uh, a track that's been called The Long One, which is a trial edit and mix from the 30th of July 69 of the the uh, medley on the B-side, or as it was originally planned to be on the A-side. Yes, uh, it'd be interesting to see what they've done with that, whether that's just, I mean, I've heard rough mixes and earlier versions of that. Uh, the other thing you hear a lot, you can pick up on YouTube, are the vocal-only arrangements for the medley, uh, and it's a, maybe a little bit disappointing they haven't done more with that. Um, you know, the, the, the a cappella version of Because, I think, is probably almost everyone's favourite track of, of Anthology 3. Um, I thought the harmonies are so good on, on Abbey Road that perhaps they might have pulled some of those isolated vocal tracks out. I think, I think you're right. I think 
because is the a cappella version of Anthology 3, I think I would prefer. And on Abbey Road, this 2019 version, we're getting a, an instrumental version of Because. So you can take your instrumental version and your a cappella version and make your own version of Because. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't reprise the, uh, the, the instrumental version of Because. Uh, and then right at the end of CD3, there's an instrumental strings-only version of something which has already come out as the Taster EP. And I'm surprised at how fantastic that sounds. Yes, uh, I, I, I was very surprised by that. Um, you know, you're hearing things there that you really, the, the, the melody and the bass playing uh, are all the focus of that song. And I think to hear this string arrangement is really quite uh, revealing. And can we mention at the lecture today, um, it was mentioned that uh, they have George Martin's original scores, not only for something, but for all of these songs and the arrangements that he did essentially going back as far as yesterday, and that they have recorded those uh, live uh, with an orchestra in Studio 2. Uh, the scores are going to come out as a book, and presumably there's going to be a, a, a CD or a documentary release or something. Um, and uh, so I think that's going to be another interesting project from the, from, from the Apple, presumably. And we also get a, an instrumental take on Golden Slumbers and Carry That Way to finish that. And then the fourth disc is a Blu-ray with a 5-1 and a Dolby Atmos uh, surround sound mix plus uh, the 2019 stereo mix in high res. Um, and then the three tracks from those first three CDs are repeated on the vinyl box across three albums. So Abbey Road 2019 on album one and a double album of the CD worth of alternate tracks, which is different to what they did for Pepper, where they created an alternate uh, running order pepper instead um, but this vinyl does not have the book then there's single and double CDs and the double CD does have drawn from the 23 box set sessions an alternate running order Abbey Road which I I like those alternate albums yes I mean I think this is an interesting uh, idea it worked very well with uh, with pepper um, and I think I think Apple have now got to grips with how to release these things so again like pepper like the white album they're different iterations so uh, you know, if you want the box set, uh, you can buy the box set. If you just want the original album with the with the new mix, you can buy that. If you're not interested in the the outtakes, so there's there's something for everyone uh, with an interest in it and priced accordingly. And there's also a high res uh, digital download version if you're into your high res. Uh audio files so yeah as you say there is something for everyone so that comes out on the 27th of September and um, you know maybe at some point down the line we might have a deep delve into all of these box sets but we're assuming that we're going to get a let it be box set next year with some kind of reworking of the Peter Jackson film and then from the demixing that we heard earlier on we're going to be buying all those early albums all over again in surround sound and whatever it takes so um, it's a good time to uh, be a Beatles fan it's always a good time to be a Beatles fan yeah, it's a good time to be a bank manager <laughs> credit card company um, so our train has now gone into a tunnel so we are approaching Heathrow Airport and that's we're going to wrap it up for today I think we'll be thinking about this for a couple of weeks to come what does it mean to be in Abbey Road Studio 2 it's uh, been quite a day yes I, I, I think it's going to take me a week or two just to process having been in there it was sort of at 5 o'clock this morning I was in Belfast then I'm in Studio 2 then I'm on my way back to Belfast so I'm, I'm going to need a week or two yes and I'm on my way back to Dublin I don't think I'm cut out for this rock and roll lifestyle but you know we'll stick with podcasting for the minute so listen uh, we hope you've enjoyed this kind of rough and ready uh, on the road travelogue podcast uh, our next episode will be back to our more usual fare 
Um, you can follow us in all the usual places. We're on Twitter at Beatles Pod. We've got a Facebook group, so go look for us there. And um, if you want to leave a nice review from us on iTunes or whatever um, uh, podcast app that you like to use, then we'd really appreciate that. Uh, but uh, for now, I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real on tour in London. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.